0: get access to exclusive content and become part of the team you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek fm that's patreo dot com slash trek hey
1: everyone i'm rod roddenberry and you're listening to trek fm
2: these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks the dedicated books and comic show i am one of the hosts matthew rushing and of course if you've been listening to this show you know i can't do this show alone dan gunther must be dan hey dan hey i'm over oh, here there you are i'm so sorry <laughs> there you are how's it going man hey not too bad how are you doing I'm doing great, man. Um, and, and I think part of it is the fact that I feel like tonight in news, we really have some, some amazing comics to talk about. Both of them are wrapping up series that we've been talking through. And I am going to venture to say, before we even start talking about both of them, that it may be two of the best series I've seen IDW do. In a really long time for star trek i don't know what do you, does that jive with i mean do you, are you feeling the same thing about these two there are definitely a lot of elements in these stories that really
0: come together here uh to to make a really good story and yeah i, I would say that's definitely not uh not crazy like these are these are really good stories and it, it's clear what really stands out to me is you know reading through these stories you can tell like, a lot of work has gone into them. And I feel like the writers and artists are really, you know, dialing it up to 11 with these stories. And uh, it shows. I mean, these are these are really excellent.
2: Well, and, and one of the things that I was, uh, you know, we've talked so many times about how a series uh, in the comics, you know, they do a kind of a one or two or three or four storyline arc, and they would start off strong, and then they would kind of peter out by the end. And... Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll start talking. Manifest Destiny 4 came out last week. And I think, you know, this series, it started off great. We had a couple episodes or uh, issues there in the middle. We were like, oh, yeah, good. But I think this last issue was really good and kind of tying it all together. But also what I started thinking about it in light of this is building up into beyond,
0: Mm-hmm.
2: now right and and so the storyline made even more sense and like had more impact on me when I was thinking about what Kirk and the crew are facing out there in the unknown and this is just one of the well bad things that happened to them
0: I feel like and and I don't know if I'm way off the mark here but it feels like kind of a more mature story than what we've gotten and, and I this almost feels like kind of the maturing of this crew and and kirk i you know it's something about the last bit of this story where they're kind of really facing uh the consequences of what has happened and and you know say what you will about new star trek uh you know i i enjoy it but i feel like that's something that's been lacking a little bit is kind of um you know facing the long-term consequences of their actions and and what's happening and and the things that they go through and uh, yeah, this, this whole story just kind of had a real feeling of, of weight to it that uh, uh, may have been missing before somehow.
2: I completely agree. I, Dan, that's a great way to put it, I think, that this is the maturing of this crew. And I, I think you're right. It's very clear to see by Kirk's reaction at the end that he is taking this job as seriously as ever after, you know, I, I think I can see the ramifications of into darkness here for him. Uh, I can see it, uh, the ramifications of a lot of their adventures that they've had. And it really does feel like this is the guy who's going to do anything for his family. You know, he is the guy who's going to put himself on the line and nobody else because he doesn't want anybody else to pay for, any mistake he might have made or even if it's not a mistake he just he's going to be the one to put himself in the line and not somebody else in his crew. Um and that's very reminiscent of the Kirk that we know from the original series, you know. So I'm I'm really I just was really bowled over by this last issue. I thought the artwork was fantastic in it as well and I liked this exploration of the Klingons and I thought that the you know the conversation that Bones and Kirk have at the very end about the Klingons having this depth that Bones didn't realize they had. I, all of that together was creating something that was really, really nice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That kind of, um, uh, I I keep coming back to the same term, kind of a more mature exploration of uh, your enemy and, and, you know, the person you're opposed. It's not just the big bad guy who's shooting at us. You know, there's, there are layers to the they're like an ogre they have
2: layers <laughs> yeah what what about cakes everybody likes cake um no I, I was thinking of of that word that that bones uses it's depth there's a lot more depth here at the end of this story than the wrap up of well everything's fine you know and we're going to smile at the end no you know we're having a funeral for all the people that have died we're um we're discussing what we have learned And the lessons that we have learned are how to respect a society to which we kind of, and that was kind of cool, this idea that, you know, uh, monoform societies that we get in Star Trek, we always kind of think of Romulans or (laughs) Vulcans or all these things as very monoform, and yet what this was doing was saying Klingons aren't just this one thing. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of different things, so let's explore that. And I think that's really nice to see. You know, you think about it just in terms of I'm an American. We're definitely not all the same. You know, Mm -hmm. we're this huge, weird melting pot of of so many different cultures and we're all different, you know. Absolutely. and that's i i was really coming away from this and i just it it was a nice subtle message for star trek to be saying let's let's look at our differences and but also let's look at where we're the same because i think um bone specifically was finding a place where he could respect klingons in a way that he couldn't before mm-hmm. and i thought that that's a really cool thing to be able to start to respect Somebody that you may have thought of as an enemy, or you just didn't realize, could be a friend. Yeah,
0: it's it's a very Star Trek message, as as of course we all know. So you know, it was it was very fitting end to this story. Well, we also get the wrap up to another uh, storyline here with uh, Star Trek ongoing number fifty eight, uh, wrapping wrapping up the Legacy of Spock series. Uh, what did you think of this one, Matthew?
2: Oh man. <laughs> This, this is, of all the comics that I have read by IDW and all of my searching through comics, this was the most human. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, no, this is, I, I, am, I am very hard pressed to find a better comic series, I think, for IDW, mm-hmm. for me personally, for Star Trek. I think they used the character of old Spock perfectly. Uh, I think the story that they told here wrapped up beautifully. Um, I loved, um, we will spoil this one because I want to talk about it with you, but um, I loved the end where Kirk comes to save the day, the enterprise, mm-hmm. the Federation comes to save the day and the way in which he and Kirk is the mediator between the, the two Vulcans spock and the vulcan leader you know very reminiscent of classic kirk and it was a nice story because obviously we can tell this takes place before uh into darkness you know so it's kind of in between those two and uh, i liked the again the way we were seeing this kirk kind of grow and mature and become that leader and again this was a beautiful comic because it really was done. I think in the end to, to pay homage to Leonard Nimoy and I couldn't think of a better way to do it than this. So to me, uh, if I was giving this a rating, this is a complete five for five. I, I, I just don't have enough words.
0: Agreed completely. I, I mean, you know, I'm, 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 I'm an outdoorsy manly man and you know, I, I got pretty misty eyed towards the end here. Uh, that that one splash page where uh Spock is mind melding and you know we see that great artwork from throughout Spock prime's life and uh and then of course the, the tribute at the end it was incredibly moving and um you know I was I was fortunate enough uh to be able to meet Leonard Nimoy at a convention before he passed away and uh like this just just brought it all back about how wonderful a person he is and and or was and and what an amazing character Spock was and uh you know through all 50 years of Star Trek he was a constant like you talk to somebody who didn't know anything about Star Trek they knew it was that one with that Spock guy and you know that's just kind of a testament to how great this character was and how amazing Leonard Nimoy was in that role And, uh, man, I, I can't think of a more fitting tribute to that character than what we get in this comic. So, uh, man, you know, hats off and, and applause to IDW here. This, this was fantastic. I, I don't know what more I can say in praise of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny.
2: You were mentioning that, uh, I was uh, dating somebody at the time and they knew, Um, Somebody connected with uh, Dallas Comic Con and it was the last time that uh, Leonard Nimoy was going to be appearing at Dallas Comic Con uh, as he was winding down and and just in his life he wasn't going to be doing any more conventions and I got to see him that day at the convention uh, and be in his panel. And it was just fantastic to hear his stories. And he was so gracious and and wonderful to the fans there. And uh, yeah, it, uh, thinking about that in conjunction with this comic, it really was a way to say thank you to him and you know be so respectful of somebody that gave us so many years of incredible entertainment but but thoughtful entertainment as well you know uh, i think that's one of the things that i loved about leonard nimoy and uh, the why he was doing star trek is because he realized that entertainment is not mindless you know it's it's telling us something it's always telling us something even Silly movies like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, you know, I haven't seen it yet or anything, but I'm just saying, even that kind of movie, it's saying something, you know, the filmmaker wants to say something in their art, Um, and Star Trek had something to say that was uh, a little bit more hopeful and a little bit different, and I might not always completely agree with all the Star Trek tenets, uh, but at least it was Mm thought-provoking, and I think that's really important, so... Um, Yeah, this comic is uh, an amazing look at the legacy of not just the man Leonard Nimoy, but the character of Spock, and I, I think it does it really well. Absolutely.
0: Before we get into the feature, why don't I tell you a little bit about where you can find literary treks, as well as all of the many other podcasts here on Trek FM. We have shows covering all corners of the Star Trek universe and beyond, You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user and subscribe on iTunes, please be sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a star rating and a review. Especially now in the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, people are going to be searching for Star Trek podcasts and that really helps us rise up in the search results and makes it possible for more Star Trek book fans to find us and Star Trek fans at large to find all of the other shows. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link there as well. Now, if you want to get into contact with us, we have a form on the website at trek.fm/contact. You can leave us a voicemail there as well. Just look in the sidebar on the show page, or go to speakpipe.com/trekfm. We're on Twitter at trekfm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. While you're on Facebook, we also have the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only group. Just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Special for Literary Treks, of course, we have our Goodreads group. Just go to goodreads.com and search for Literary Treks. There you'll find bookshelves with all of our previously covered books, as well as what we're currently reading, so you know what's coming up for future episodes. And of course, there are always great conversations happening about all the books and comics that make up the Star Trek universe.
2: Well, Dan, I am just so excited because, you know, it's so much fun when we have an author on and it's been a while. I mean, it's been since last year since we had this author on when we were talking about his latest story involving Data. And so we are so excited to have back to the show for Force in Motion, Jeff Lang. Jeff, how are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing very well, sir. Thank you for asking. And how are you, Dan?
0: Say hi, Dan. (laughs) Hey, Jeff. Uh, Really great to have you on again, for sure. Uh, It's like Matthew said, it's always a pleasure to talk to the authors. And, uh, you know, it's always just a really special episode when we get this opportunity. So
2: thanks so much for coming on.
1: I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. It's always a lot of fun talking with you guys. So thanks.
2: Well, I had, uh, before we kind of really dive in to the book itself, you know, uh, we were talking on the other side of the page, yeah, just right before we started recording the fact that, you know, you had written a lot more Deep Space Nine than I remembered, uh, especially early on. And um, so I wanted to just ask before we even get to the book, what was it like getting you to come back to characters that you haven't gotten to play with in, in in a while?
1: Um actually uh that's a really oh that's an interesting i had not thought about it that way because abyss the 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 first one that i worked on with david weddell was so much focused on bashir and roe and then um the two-parter that i did with um john Hertzler was so focused on um, martok and again i guess roe not roe um uh uh Jadzia, not Jadzia, Dax, the other Dax, see
2: Ezri, yes, a <laughs> Ezri. <laughs>
1: um Ezri, uh and and the other characters were very, very peripheral for, for both of those. So coming in and doing Force and Motion was where I got to come and say, okay, I'm gonna now do these other two characters, uh pretty much divorced from everything else that was going on with anything that um david's been doing with his his series so i did not honestly really think of it as being i'm returning to deep space nine because honestly abyss i think there's one scene that actually takes place in the set on the station Mm, yeah uh uh left hand left hand of darkness uh zero if i recall (laughs) I, i might be off by a bit there and now you know this one almost nothing so um i kind of think of these books uh all of them as being those uh almost like those episodes that i loved with deep space nine where they just said we're not on the station all that other plot stuff leave it aside we're not talking about it right now let's do a standalone let's do a one-off and that's what these i i you know i love those i love those in the uh series i love it do I love writing them also I don't have to read 18 books <laughs> yeah, to get caught up <laughs> on what's going on um, which is good you know um, I'm lazy and I just want to do my own thing most of the time
0: well that's one thing that really strikes me about Deep Space Nine especially is uh, you know it's very unique in that uh, there are so many different characters and different settings to play with and that sort of thing that. You know, Deep Space Nine itself was always just kind of the jumping off point and like like this novel really proves, you can do a completely different story that, that doesn't have to center around that. And I, I really love that.
1: I, I think you're I think you've hit that right on the head. I mean, you can do you can do uh an original series story that doesn't take place on the bridge. You can do a next generation. I mean, they did you know, I mean I think a lot of people i think you i think we can all agree that some of the best episodes they ever did of any of those series were the ones that weren't on the starships i'm I'm thinking of the inner light Mm. how many how many seconds of that episode actually take place on the ship you know 30 seconds on each end of the main story um uh uh the episode i'm gonna be I'm, i'm really gonna show my age here the uh episode of Deep Space Nine, which is all about Benny. Oh, yeah, Far
2: Beyond the Stars.
1: Far Beyond the Stars. How many seconds of that take place? I mean, these are seminal episodes that the writers and the performers were able to say, we're jumping off from this. We all know that there's the station. We all know that there's a starship. We're not going to do that this month or this week. Uh, and I, I'd like to think that's what Force of Motion was. I mean, that, that Force of Motion really came out of that, uh, again, sorry, I'm really bad at this, the episode where
2: um, oh, it was Tarek um, Tarek Empaknor uh, nor
1: yeah. where they, they go off to the Twin Station and is any of that story does that, any of that take place on Deep Space Nine? I don't, if it is it's maybe, again, 30 seconds on each side of the main story I love those stories, I love it mm-hmm. when you take the characters out of their your familiar settings where you push them into, um, into the corners and see how they react outside of their familiar uh, milieu. And, that, and, then, and that's what I really wanted to do with this. And give you know um, uh, O'Brien and Nog time to bitch at each other. That, that was my other mission statement. Give these two guys time to have buddy cop conversations. And then everything else that came out of it was just good luck and, and uh, coincidence but that was the original
0: idea.
2: I think it makes for such a unique book in Star Trek, you know, a unique story because, you know, for especially with with Deep Space Nine specifically right now, we have been on a very specific arc. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so to take time and, um, you know, get a little bit of a breather with the characters like this, I think was really, really interesting, especially with I, I wanted to talk about that you give some character to O'Brien and Nog, both characters, I think Daniel will agree with me, that haven't had a ton of screen time or page time recently.
1: Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. so talk yeah. about
2: um, developing that and really giving them a chance to breathe and kind of let us know who they are now after all that's been happening to them.
1: I'm, I'm going to admit right up front, I have not read every Deep Space Nine book that's come out over the last... What's it been? Two, three years since the the relaunch. Relaunch is, is that is that a fair way of describing it? Yeah, it's there the was...
2: relaunch of the relaunch.
1: Yes, right. <laughs> um, I've read um, I've read David's books. I read I think I read one of um, I meant I meant David Mack, and I read one of David George's, and I also read the Nog. I read the series that Nog was in, where he was sort of in the black ops scenario what was that that was the fall Uh, the fall that was the fall yes which loved those um and i really wanted to say okay what happened to these to nog especially since that because he hasn't had a lot to do and o'brien other than uh, oh i'm the engineer now i'm the head guy on deep space nine what has he done nothing maybe i'm maybe i've missed something not that much and he's a you know he was always i mean komeini was so good he was so good in that character um i really wanted to sp- you know spend some time with him and uh the the, the genesis of the the story was um i want to do a i wanted to do a character story about where these two men i mean actually it's it's almost kind of strange to think of Nag as a man He's almost <laughs> we always think of him as sort of a boy but he's not he's an adult. He's mm. of of all the characters that have been on Deep Space 9 except maybe I'm going to say arguably Bashir we could maybe table that as another day um has had the longest arc the longest and most um extreme arc from he was a th- he was this silly little kid when we first met him and now he's a starfleet officer not just a starfleet officer but somebody who's had some really uh extremely um demanding experiences i mean he's been in Mm, he's been in war. Mm -hmm. um he's he's been through a lot of extremely uh demanding situations more than we've seen for a lot of the main characters i mean we know that bad things happen to cisco we know that bad things happen to kirk and picard but we didn't see them we were told about them with nog we saw them happen mm-hmm. so um, i just wanted to say okay we're going to put these two guys in a small space and let them work out some of their stuff because the person that o'brien i think i think that really the maybe this is the main thing the person that o'brien thinks about when he looks at nog is this 16 year old kid and he's not a 16 year old Mm, kid anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was the, that was the dynamic I wanted to, to run with and also giant spiders.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, that was one of the things, uh, you know, starting reading this novel that I was the most excited about because, uh, like you, uh, I think Nog's journey is one of the absolute best things about deep space nine. And, um, I especially was thinking of uh, the one scene that you had that was a flashback to when he and Jake were kids, and I, I have to say, like, I reread that little bit, and then I read it out loud to a friend of mine because it was just—I <laughs> love that so uh, much.
1: <laughs> uh flattered. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: When when Nog talks about seeing Cisco come on the station, and he's like how do I get a uniform like that? I just, I thought it was so perfect. And uh, yeah, no, I, I, I really love that character of Nog and, um, you know, using him in this story was, I thought uh, really great because yeah, he has gotten short shrift lately and uh, it's, it's really good to use him well. in, a, in a story here. So. Uh, it's, very,
1: I, I find that my affection for the Ferengi is baffling. I find myself baffled by my. Let me make that clear. I find my affection for the Ferengi baffling because I remember when I they were first introduced in the next gen, I hated them, hated them. Mm. I think
0: we all uh, did. Well, <laughs> uh, well, okay, good. I'm glad it wasn't. Different. I mean, leather and whips and fur—it just oh, oh, didn't oh, seem to work like monkeys. Yeah, no. <laughs>
1: It was, it was, it was like, bad. it was. I'm sure Gene Roddenberry in some um scotch soaked you know afternoon of writing said, Well, they're capitalists, so what can we do to make them unappealing? You know, yeah, you know, leather, fur, bald, big ears, bad teeth, you know, boom, that there they were, and and yet, and yet, um, I think almost i think we have to give this almost exclusively to the deep space nine guys the the writing crew Actually, it wasn't all guys but mostly damn they did something great with those characters mm-hmm. uh um nog quark um uh, uh again getting names the brother but Mom. but also yes but also um their mother great character there or was it her grandmother it was their grandmother
2: uh, no, it was played- their mother, Ishka.
1: Ishka. Oh, God, what a great character. Uh, just, and, and oh, and Wallace Shawn as the Grand Negus. Fabulous mm. stuff. Funny, but insightful. Just, just wonderful. Um, and, and they made the whole concept of that culture work. It went from being a kind of like this bad joke to being, no, 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 no. This makes sense. There, there could be an entire culture that this is the motivating force of their lives. And setting up Nog as somebody who's not quite in that culture, but understands it, is just brilliant and gorgeous. And I don't know if, you've, if you did read The Left Hand of Dark Destiny. Yes. I said Darkness mm-hmm. Early. Yes. I said Left Hand of Darkness Early. Apologies to Ursula Le Guin. <laughs> <laughs> it's close it's close but i didn't name the book so i'm not going to take credit for that one um i apologize but uh, left-handed destiny far that character uh the ferengi character in that book was the thing that got me in it it was the character that made me go okay i can i can work with this because before um the, the have we talked about this? I don't even know if we ever have talked about it.
2: We've never talked about the left hand of destiny. It's something that we i've wanted to do on the show. It just we haven't got to it yet, which All right. the five know. minute version
1: three minute version was uh j g they they asked j g. to write a book or write a i guess it was two books. I don't even know what the original contract was. He delivered an outline they marco palmieri, I'm sure you know Marco. And he worked on this outline. They came up with a pretty, not pretty, but actually really great story. Um, And basically, JG didn't have time to deliver. He was on. He had too many other things going on. He he put together a uh, a really good synopsis. He wrote a couple of chapters and ran out of time. So Marco asked me if I could jump in and you know give him give him a hand and it was a it was it, it was so uh big a project uh and we had a really tight schedule but the thing that got me in was the concept of far this Ferengi who really didn't really know how to be a Ferengi and I felt like I get this I get this guy he's he is the uh Sancho Panza to marco's Don Quixote, and that was the thing that pulled me through the story and made me get, it got me right it got me to write two books in seven months
2: mm, wow, wow.
1: <laughs> which was really amazing and fun and uh I had a heart attack, and i 'm never going to do that again <laughs> no i didn't i i didn't have a heart i didn't really have a heart attack, but I did go to the emergency room because I thought I was having a heart attack oh, gosh. and they said they said <laughs> Now you're fine. You're just stressing out. (laughs) Like, yes, I have to finish my sell in the next...
2: It was great. What's so interesting is you were talking, I was thinking to myself, you know, Worf and Nog have a lot more in common than I've thought about before. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they're both characters who struggle with cultural identity because, you know, Nog being in Starfleet, he has you know, some beliefs and ideas now that don't necessarily jive with being a Ferengi. And, and Worf was the same thing as being a Klingon. So, I, man, somebody needs to write a buddy cop story with them. There you go, Jeff. I That's say, the next there's story. A, there's
1: a novel right there. And if not, if not a novel, there is certainly a great short story of uh, Worf and Nog um, sitting, okay, they're sitting in one, I mean, somewhere in Starfleet, there is the equivalent of the um, airport waiting room you know, like we're we're uh our connecting flight. We're here, we're together, we have nowhere else to go, the bar's closed or you know, the food stalls are closed. There's nothing we can do except sit here and talk to each other and scene. There they are. That uh, get to work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds great. <laughs> Worst done is novel, can't ignore Nog anymore. Ah, okay. <laughs> uh, that would be funny.
2: Well, I wanted to ask a quick question because as we were talking about Nog, I was also thinking about this storyline for O'Brien and one of the things for O'Brien that's so different now that he's back on Deep Space Nine is that he's lost his right hand man, Bashir. Yeah, and so that's, talk that, that about was a big part of what the yeah, book is about. Yeah, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that because you know for him it it's almost it really almost is like he's lost his right arm.
1: He's lost his his um, bro. Yeah. I mean long before the term got quoted or uh, you know coined O'Brien and Bashir had a bromance that mm. uh, my my son is a big fan of uh the show scrubs yes and, yes and we've been watching it on Netflix for the last couple of months um and the whole uh the whole that whole Interaction between those two characters is hilarious, but also really kind of touching and I think for as much as they could get into that and they couldn't really quite get into the the comedy of it as much as they might have wanted to with Bashir and uh O'Brien, they really attempted to get into that, and I don't think the books have been able to deliver on that as much I mean if I may have missed something. I've read a lot of the Deep Space Nine books. I've already admitted I haven't read them all. But I don't think there have been too many where Bashir and O'Brien have had the opportunity to be like, you know, pals buddying around bromance. And now with what they've done, that's gone. They're done. And um, they both, both O'Brien and Nog. Kind of need somebody. Do I think they were ever going to get to the point that um, O'Brien and Bashir did? No, 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 no. It's never going to happen. Um, I mean the The title of the book is force and emotion. You could probably put underneath it in parentheses transitions Because this is about a couple of characters. Well, not just Bashir and O'Brien, but I think a lot of characters specifically Maxwell people who are transitioning from one state of being to wherever they're going next, um, which is a nice thing to be able to do in these kinds of one-off novels. You can do those kinds of things because in the tentpole, is that a good way to describe it? In the pole novels, big stuff happens. People respond quickly. They don't have time to think about what they're doing most of the time. You don't get to see that gradual kind of, Oh wait, maybe maybe we could go out and have racicino tomorrow morning. What do you think? Does that sound good? That's how friendships really start. Most of the time, they don't start with. What's that line from Speed? Uh, you know, relationships that start in you know stressful situations don't team, tend to work out. No, the so relationships that start with people having you know little things. It feels more real to me, which sounds ridiculous when you're talking about a station that's parked outside of a wormhole. <laughs> but we all have to do what we do do well.
0: Well, speaking of uh, Benjamin Maxwell, uh, that was you know a really interesting aspect of the story was kind of his journey. And like you say, his transition. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what that process was like, kind of building a story around this character who you know really didn't get a lot of screen time um you know and i, I think bob gunton did a really good job with what he had but you, you know this and there's the still writers a did a
1: great job with that episode mm,
0: that's was... a standout
1: it's always been a standout um next generation episode
0: yeah definitely one of my favorites for sure
1: <laughs> okay short version of the origin of this novel i wanted to do a one off about a couple of the secondary characters i initially pitched it as being about beverly crusher who is on deep space nine now and i forget (laughs) it was somebody somebody else i said i want to do a story about beverly and and margaret clark my editor said nope somebody else is doing a beverly novel Uh, okay all right Uh, Well, who's nobody doing anything about this is the, this is the way a lot of this stuff works out. Who is, who is not, who hasn't tagged, you know, has Dayton said, Oh, I'm going to do, I'm doing this and this. David said, Oh, I'm doing a Bashir story. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Who was left? O'Brien and nod. Okay, fine. Good, good, good mechs. They've had adventures before. They always go badly they yell at each other stuff goes wrong That's their whole thing fine so we're gonna get them off the station and they're gonna go somewhere and something's gonna happen so why are they going someplace Margaret bless her said Ben Maxwell and I said who (laughs) and she said in her I can't do her accent I'm not even gonna try to say she says go watch all right, Fine. I watched it. I was like, oh, I remember this one. He's great. Did they ever do another story about him? She's like, no <laughs> well, Wow, what 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 do they do to people who in Starfleet who kill 600 civilians and uh, You know uh, What what's his what's his whole deal? What happened to him? He's in prison but in Starfleet, in, on Earth in the 24th century, they don't have prisons. No, 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 no. They have hospitals. They rehabilitate. They do not punish. On the other hand, if you're in a place that they're saying they're rehabilitating you and you say to them, I'm rehabilitated now. You can let me go. They say, no. No, no, no. We say when you're rehabilitated. And that was sort of the launch point from the book. What happened to this guy? How did he get rehabilitated? And what does rehabilitated mean? Does that mean that you're healed and perfect? No. It means that we can probably let you go and you're not going to go off and kill somebody. Probably. <laughs> um, we hope. We hope. Um, and that's why i mean you know when you considering it from the perspective of what we consider i mean in our you know uh, barbaric age uh the idea of how we treat prisoners or we how we rehabilitate people he was in for 16 years that's a really long time i mean how long was tom Parison, uh wherever he was i mean a few 3 years 4 years And he did some pretty bad stuff by the standards of what was going on. Now, I'm not gonna, uh, let me be be very careful here with everything that's going on in the world right now. Hmm. Benjamin Maxwell's, what he did was terrible. He did a terrible thing. However, what I wanted to present in the story was he was a person who was psychologically damaged and the service that he worked for did not recognize that because they needed him on the front line because he was the best goddamn starship captain that they had at the time to do what he needed to do what does that mean it means that the the starfleet that we like to think of as in most of our stories being you know fairly well balanced and responsible in that era when he was serving they had problems, they couldn't do everything they needed to do, and they had to take certain risks. And that's, yeah, I've, I can't tell you how much I've thought about this guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he was, he was, uh, he became to me one of the most complex characters that uh, I've ever written. And I i hope I've done, you know, justice to what he had to go through. uh I strongly suspect I failed miserably, but, um, you know, did my best.
2: Well, for me, one of the things, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, one of the wonders of Deep Space Nine was the psychology of Star Trek that we got to see. You know, mm-hmm. we were really getting inside characters, you know, from the very beginning. I mean, the very first episode is about a broken man, yes, Sisko, absolutely, who the prophets help kind of piece back together as he kind of helps them piece what corporeal existence is about. And mm-hmm. that that symbiotic relationship that they form um, is so interesting. But what it, what it set as a precedent was, is that these are real people who have real problems. And just because it's the 24th century doesn't make people perfect. And so what I was really enjoying about the story is that, you know, we're getting to see the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm -hmm. And there was good, there was bad and there was ugly about Benjamin Maxwell but, you know, when he said, you know, that he felt broken, um, it was really powerful for me because I have been in places and still, you know, it can happen where you have that feeling of utter brokenness in mm-hmm. yourself. And okay. having been to therapy, as <laughs> got to say, quick side note, I liked his therapist, Gunther, uh, mm-hmm. Dan making a, and um, Michael Clark. So uh, mm-hmm. congratulations to those guys getting some great <laughs> nods uh, in the story. That was awesome. Yeah, um, it's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, but it was phenomenal, though, the way that you dealt with it. And it actually really had an emotional impact on me because I've felt what he's felt before, where you just you don't feel like you can put yourself back together. Humpty Dumpty is not going back together again. hmm.
1: Well, uh, uh, as, long, as long as we're telling tales, I also have spent more than my, well, I don't know how about much more. I've spent my time on the couch um, and the whole concept of trying to figure out what a therapeutic relationship would be like in the 20, 24th century was one of the real challenges in this. And you know, the answer I came to, I mean, even in our day, in our day, there's a lot of emphasis on pharmaceutical treatment. And uh, while I'm not going to in any way knock that, I, I, I think that that's, you know, figuring out what goes on in the brain and the different chemicals that go on and how you can modify them and make somebody feel better is wonderful and it's valuable. But the talking cure is still gonna be the one For a lot of people that's going to in the end get to the point where they have a real meaningful change In their life, and I really wanted to portray how that Might work in the 24th century Uh, It is and, and and by by that i'm saying two people talking to each other somebody drilling into another person's ideas and trying to overturn you know not overturn that's not the right word um to bring to light some of the uh events and significant well struggles that they've had that's that's what's going to save people you know communication um meaningful communication uh that is what will in the end um you know make us a better species and i agree with you deep space nine was the first series where that was really dealt with you know i mean what is it that's going on between ben cisco and uh uh um the wormhole aliens i'm sorry profits prophets, yeah in the in that um, first episode they're doing psychotherapy on him mm-hmm. the, the, that that uh i i actually have I've talked about that moment on more than one occasion in a therapeutic situation where they take him and they say, This is where you live. And he's like, No, this is something that happened to me, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. No. They say, no, this is where you live. And think about think about your own life. Think about the lives of people that you know who maybe have some damage. Think about think about soldiers. Think about people who have p t s d or some other kind of trauma. what is that all about? This is where you live.
2: Well, you mentioned mm-hmm. that, and it's funny because uh you had the wonderful reference to um Bashir and O'Brien having gone to bastone and and played that in, and and mm-hmm. my wife and i i she was in the army and i'm I'm just showing her band of brothers, and we just got past that episode, so reading it there in the book and thinking about what those men went through and you're talking about what soldiers feel, you know, um, they, I love the way they do the series of how they have the actual men who are still alive on the series, talking about their experiences and you don't know who they are or which character they are yet. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but the way that they speak about it and you can tell though, I mean, there are points when sometimes they'll be saying something and and they have to stop because they can't get through it, you know. Yes. And, um, you know, how many years? Fifty years from from when it had happened, they were still feeling the same raw emotions, right? Because of what they saw. And you think about, you know, Maxwell or Nog or O'Brien. And all that they have been through in the Mm -hmm. service. And they have seen and done things that they wish they probably hadn't. And I think that that's a wonderful thing to see in Star Trek. That these people are affected by it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's probably why people liked the inner light. Because we saw Picard at the end affected by the Mm -hmm. situation.
1: Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Good pull. Nice. Deep cut. I agree with you. I think that is one of the reasons why that episode remains if not the among the best, then the best of that series. Um, it is one of the few times that you could do a story. They did a story where they were showing a meaningful and persistent change that a character went through. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, oh, I was transformed into a Borg, that was bad. Uh, you know, my brother died or whatever, whoever we we're talking about. That was that was so beautifully done. And we can only hope that we can only hope that the new guys are watching those episodes. The new folks fingers crossed. <laughs> you know. I don't know. Kirsten
2: <laughs> yeah. Byer is a part of the writing staff now, so I've got mm-hmm. nothing but hope.
1: I I I'm with you there, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Kirsten's I <I've, laughs> yeah. <laughs> my mother, my when when, when they announced the, the new series, um she was like, Oh, well, this is you know, they're gonna do a new Star Trek series. Can you write you know, could you go do that? I'm like, No, no, they don't hire book people to do T V shows. <laughs> and then like a few weeks later it was like Chris Kirsten got hired and I talked to my mom over the weekend. I said, Well, um, yeah, okay, maybe sometimes book people get hired, but <laughs> so and her and her and her response was so what was at one point zero percent has going to point one percent and i'm like
2: yes (laughs) it so you're saying there's a chance (laughs) so we're saying there's a chance
1: yeah there's a possibility (laughs) you know three seasons in they're going to run out of ideas and they're going to want to do something about uh uh officers with ptsd or androids and Yes. You're ah, going to be
2: the man. That's come
0: right. I'm in. Well, we got to be careful now because all the Star Trek rumor sites out there now will say, Jeffrey Lang confirmed to be writer. <laughs> no, David because... Max
1: ahead of me on that cue. He's like five. <laughs> or actually, I want to see, I really want to see a Dayton Ward episode of Star Trek or a season. You know, I want him to put the bridge crew together. That's what I want to see. I want to go. Go Dayton. I mean, David, fine, you too, but really <laughs> the the Dayton Ward crew would be so fucked up and weird. I wouldn't
0: do that. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'd love okay, to see that. speaking
2: of that, uh, we we do need to get to this eclectic station that they visit that turns into what I I like to refer to is a little starbase of horrors like <laughs> It just goes from bad to worse. I just kind of wanted to talk to you and hear from you where all your inspiration came from, all the crazy things that we end up visiting on this station because what was so interesting, and again, this is a Deep Space Nine thing, where you see a completely different side of life in the 24th century. And Hmm. this is kind of the seedy underbelly in a lot of ways of of the 24th century, 25th century galaxy now. So I just wanted to talk about that because, you came up with some crazy, crazy stuff.
1: Oh thanks I okay my my day job is I work for a company that basically deals not to get too in depth, deals with scientists, deals with researchers. I, I see a lot about what goes on in the day-to-day world of um, you know academic research at a lot of different places around the u.s and england and so i know a little bit about what science is really like and science is way way weirder than any of us out here knows the ones that we see on tv or read about in the you know the press or whatever These are the kind of upstanding citizens. These are the ones that they will let you like talk to. Most of the rest of them are weird.
0: Big Bang Theory is kind of more of a documentary than we would ever really know.
1: Oh yeah. No, 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 no. Yes. They, they are strange, (laughs) strange people. You know, Sheldon is, you know, like the poster child for these guys. They're, they're strange, odd people who have strange ideas And Things that they're interested in and they just want money so that they can poke at things That's it poke at things with sticks. That's what they want to do and I also guess I wanted to make uh, Kind of say that whatever it is that the federation or even you know Well, we're mostly talking about the federation federation fundamentally a very conservative organization Not a judgment Just saying, that's what they are. They have rules. They have boundaries. I think there's probably a lot of people in there, out there in the 24th century, who want to do things that the Federation are just not going to support. Where do they go? They have, there are places. There have got to be places. There are places where they do fringe science, where you get a bunch of oddballs all coming out to a place because they can scrape together the money that they need. And they're not going to be able to do these kinds of things on a planet, a lab, anywhere else. They're going to go. They're going to um, build a shrink ray or an enlarging ray. I forget which it I love it was that, that, that. The I... shrink
2: ray. That was fantastic. I was like, it's like Captain Proton came onto the station. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, there's somebody who's going to uh, uh, um, make giant spiders because giant spiders. Uh, and there's somebody who's going to want to think about where can I make the most money? Because I mean, I, we talk about the 24th century, 23rd and 24th century is this, this place where nobody ever talks about money. Nobody ever talks about profit. Obviously that exists. The Ferengi have proved that exists. It's not everywhere. It, the Federation We're not even gonna dig into this right now because it's just too big and too weird. They have this culture they have a society where essentially Capital does not exist, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist anywhere else in the galaxy. Clearly it does There are going to be people who are attracted to that Finch is a person who wants money He wants nice things. He wants good food. He wants power he wants influence, whatever it is. He wants to be famous or whatever version of fame, you know, that means to him. So he's going to try and think of something that he can get those things. How is he going to do that? I'm going to come up with a device, a process, a, a mother that will give me what I want. Um, he just happens to have enough brains and uh, little enough scruples to come up with something. Is it a terrible idea? No. Are the means that he gets to get that idea pretty bad? Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. It's a terrible, terrible thing he does. Uh, are the results all bad? I think I'm going to, I don't think, I, I, don't think I, I have a, I don't think I'm going to put in stone anywhere that I think what he did had no good results because i think what happened with ginger and honey wasn't terrible but it was an accident it was not intentional Mm -hmm. so um yeah i wanted to throw all those people on that place and see what kind of crazy shit occurred and there was some pretty crazy i'm glad you enjoyed that because i wasn't sure if it really i'm not entirely sure if it really came off
2: well i mean we've got charlotte's web reference because of it a monty python yeah. reference because of it a peanuts pig pen reference because of it i mean uh r-o-u-s because of it so <laughs> i mean I, did, you got that. I didn't know if they existed <laughs> but now i know in star trek they do so but what I, what i what was so great about it though is that it kind of made sense that all this super crazy stuff would exist for scientists who didn't have a leash on them and just were allowed to kind of let their imaginations run wild and do experiments that nobody's paying attention to. So, I mean, as you said, the scientists that we see on TV or whatever, who knows what people are trying to think up in labs that we will never have access to. Right. So,
1: and And who knows whatever happens with those things, some of those things. Are great and some of those things are well arguably probably terrible and a lot of it never comes to anything at all Um, Mm. and this is probably what 90% of what goes on on the Robert hook nothing really ever comes of it a guy has you know he's really super into adhesives and nothing who cares nobody cares Um, but hopefully something happens with the arachnoforms I would uh, I've, I've actually been sort of surprised about the reaction to them um, that I've gotten so far. People really want to know what happens with these characters. And I have, I have no idea. I hope somebody, I hope we get to do something with them again someday. But are they going to be something that gets folded into the, um, the mythology? If, I, if, that, if that got to happen, I'd be a happy man. I mean, the guy, whoever, who was it? Was it Ted Sturgeon who wrote the
0: episode with the Horda? I think so, but I'm not a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Well, whatever. I I'm sure that somewhere, um, you know, he's very pleased. Well, not in, you know, now been dead for a long time, but the fact that that idea has continued on from something that he wrote in a script. Well, what do we say? 49 years ago. Um, Still exists. I think that that's lovely. And I love I mean I, I love the Horda. They're they're one of my all-time favorite aliens from um, any of the episodes.
0: I I loved the idea that uh, you know this creature would use that more. Oh right. That's Starfleet right. Disney. Because I
1: love the horda. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the no-kill I forgot item. about that. that was no so kill eye. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank thank you. I had forgotten about that. I, lo- I love that it was directly referenced too, like it was that's what clued him in, oh Kirk, the Horda, right, you know that's what's going on here, okay, uh, you yeah, know, I thought that was excellent um one one thing that I really found interesting while reading this too was kind of the the structure of the book and how uh through the use of flashbacks, you were kind of uh you know, giving us glimpses of what's going on and then kind of filling in kind of necessary parts of the backstory as we went along, kind of allowing the reader to, to discover these things and, and, you know, the process that Maxwell went through and even some of, you know, what's going on in O'Brien and Nog's minds during this, you know, that kind of informs what's going on now. Uh, what was it like kind of getting to explore those periods in the lives of the characters and you know how they informed the story you wanted to tell uh, with the Robert Hook and what's happening there
1: well i'm glad I'm really glad that worked for you uh, again, um, I'm just going to mention referencing some of the reviews the It seems to be that that is the most divisive aspect of the book there are the people who really liked that and there are the people who were annoyed or bored by it and um you know i i respect both of those reactions uh it was not something that i set out to do originally there was a point where i was thinking i'm going to do this as a linear story it's going to start with maxwell in prison or rehabilitation call it what you want and kind of do a series of um scenes episodes that would bring him to the hook and then the story unfolds and and, but that the problem with that is is that you don't get and o'brien till i don't know a third of the way into the book that doesn't work you want to bring them in as your 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 protagonist sooner than that so that led to kind of the idea of how can i intersperse maxwell's backstory or the inter, inter interstitial scenes with what's going on in the quote unquote present um and that was the point where i realized oh wait a minute i don't have to do this linearly i can chop this up as much as i want and take it not just not just dealing with the main characters but the response that the the other characters that might have to Maxwell because i think really the book is, is as much about what Maxwell does as the unintended consequences that his actions have on other people that he never knows about he doesn't know that all of these people responded to him in this way and when you find him at you know the point in the story where you know it's the present he's just this guy who feels like my life i've been a failure or my life has been a failure he has no idea what other people have been thinking about him as most of us don't we don't know um, And that was what i really wanted to do and then once i began chopping up time i realized oh wait i can do this i can i can i can go back in time i can do a nog and jake scene from when they were 17. i can do um uh, a scene with um nog talking to um his father and well it was originally supposed to be um vic but Margaret said, yeah, you can't use Vic. <laughs> He's in a suitcase somewhere. <laughs> so what, what what do you want to do? Who do you want to be the other guy? Oh, I don't know. How about Danny Ocean? Oh, yeah, make it Danny Ocean. That'll be great. Um, so that was that. that th- 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 when you start realizing that you can play around with time and that you can slice things up in, in ways that you want to, that's very liberating and terrifying. Because... The worst thing I think I've ever done to a proofreader or an editor was what I did in this book where I said, okay, this scene takes place 14 days before this scene. And we had to kind of figure out some way of labeling everything so that it was easy to follow. I think we did okay, but it, I don't know. We'll see. I think, I think we, I think it came out all right.
2: That that was something I was thinking, uh, just uh, as you mentioned, Vic, I think that's another story for you. I need Bashir, I mean, I need um, O'Brien and Nog to fix the Vic program, so I feel like you would be the perfect person to write that buddy cop story for them as they try to figure out what's wrong with that program.
1: Well, mm-hmm. um, we touched on that in the Light Fantastic. They t- They fixed him temporarily, I think. But I don't know where he... I'm going to be I'm embarrassed to admit this.
2: Where is he now? He is still broken. Like, his program is still mm-hmm. broken. It's, it's it's like, this dark place where, you know, like, Vic is running in and out of his hotel room and, like, nobody knows what's really going on there. The, the whole program seems like it's in one of those jack-in-the-box situations again or something even worse. So it's like... It something's very wrong in the land of Vic still. I
1: oh, I wonder how David's going to bring that together. I'm sure he has a plan. He always does. Um well, I'll we'll find out. Um I would I would love to return to uh Deep Space 9, but um the the truth of it is is that it's got to fit in around whatever David's doing. Or and David and David cuz David Max Got another super spy Bashir story to do. I think I'm pretty sure, and that's got to slot in. So you know, if if if, if um, David George is the A guy and David Mack is the B guy, I'm like the C guy at this juncture. So you know, whenever Margaret says we need a uh, we need a story with Roe and a hamster, here go. <laughs>
2: Oh, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, that does kind of bring me to the question of what is coming up next for you in Star Trek and with anything else. Do you have anything else in the pipeline?
1: Nothing in Star Trek. Um, I, I have a pitch in uh, for another data book. I have uh a, a idea for... The thing is, is with data and law is they are such... Um, powerful characters uh, And I mean that in every sense of the word. I mean they they have a great deal of agency That you have to come up with something for them. That is Almost You know you have I'm sorry. This is the, the analogy that comes to mind for no particular reason, you know we, in the Terminator 2 you have you know Arnold he's the Terminator what do you come up with to make something what 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 can you possibly throw at him? Well, you have to have the next generation You have to you, you have to have your t-1000 I'm sure there are better examples that other people come up with that's the one that sticks to me because I'm old um, So with with data and law you have to have a t-1000 you have to have something that, that you could throw against them. That is um, even more Has even more agency, so that's the concept that I'm working with. The problem with that is, is that if we introduce that kind of a character or or um, threat into the 24th century, that's not just going to be something that's going to affect them. So I think that's the the problem that we have to solve if we're going to do this sort of story. What where does it land? Uh, what impact does it have uh, is it something that we can absorb into the bigger picture essentially we're introducing a new threat that is on the level of the borg or you know, what else i mean what else has ever been at that level anything mm-hmm. uh,
2: uh, yeah, the think, dominion yeah maybe yeah. maybe the biggest next to the borg um yeah, that's yeah. that's a so, that's whoa, that that is big.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that and that and that's what I've pitched. And I think Margaret's kind of sitting there. I think I'm 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 sure she's kind of going, do I want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> or is this just too, you know, is it too much? But so there's that. Um while I'm waiting to hear back about that, I am working on another uh book. I'm doing a uh working on a novel uh which is um i think i can i i, I think I, I think you guys will get this um it's a a robin hood story um the idea being that robin hood is not a person so much as it is a title uh and and the comparison that i think of that always seems to work best is if you've seen the princess bride yeah yeah there's the dread pirates robber right. the dread pirates Roberts,
0: nice. Yeah,
1: <laughs> he's a he's a guy, but it's a it's a role. And um, the book that I'm working on is the concept of there's this there's the current Robin Hood and there's the new Robin Hood, and it's about the transition from one to the next, and how does that happen? Why does that happen? On, and it's all wrapped up in a crunchy um, 12th century historical real realistic milieu. Uh, I spent six months doing research about the Crusades and uh, uh, Richard Lionheart and what was going on in England at the time. And it's just, it's just great, terrible, terrible stuff.
2: So it's, <laughs> it's how we go from the fox... To Kevin Costner <laughs> as Robin Hood.
1: Um, the Fox. Where's you know, the, the Disney cartoon. I... Oh, uh, <laughs> actually, it's a, little, it's a little more like going from, um, I would say a little bit more like going from Sean Connery to um, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Oh, okay, yeah.
2: Oh, wow. Man, very that, cool. That's a great idea, actually. I really like that idea. Yeah, thank you.
1: I'm yeah. very pleased with it. Uh, It took a long time. It took a ridiculously long time to hammer out all the details because There's a part of me that wants it to be just a straight-up fantasy novel And there's a part of me that wants to do honor to the historical facts And the the strange thing is is that it all kind of fits together So I'm yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it all pulls together
2: well, with that, um, if there is anywhere online where people can just kind of keep track of what's going on with you and when you might have things coming out or you want to announce things or if they just want to talk to you, you know, about the, the books that you've had out, uh, where can people find you online, Jeff?
1: Uh, I'm terrible at this. Um, I have, I, I'm happy to talk with people on Facebook. Um, I avoid – I. I, my wife keeps telling me I need to do something about this. I hate Twitter. We've talked about this before. I really just loathe and despise Twitter. Um, sorry. Sorry. Sorry, guys.
2: Sorry, Twitterverse.
1: <laughs> sorry, Twitterverse. I just don't get it. Um, but you can contact me on Facebook. Uh, there, it's not anything real fancy. It's just Jeffrey Lang on Facebook. I'm always happy to friend people or chat. Um there's the trek b b s where people talk about books and i'm always looking at uh, what's going on there uh I should probably be a lot better about the whole social media thing than I am, but oh
2: but hey, you have a life, and as William Shatner said, <laughs> you got one so <laughs> uh, uh,
1: if i were if i if if I think if I were Mac or Ward or, uh, any, or, or Ms. Baer, actually, Chris Kirsten's even worse at it than I am, so yay. <laughs> um, if I did this full-time every day, you know, 10 hours a day, I probably would be a little more attentive, but it's my part-time job, and I love it, but... Um, You you can only put so much time into it I guess that sounds terrible I feel terrible saying that But it's true You can only put so much time into it I do have a life I have a family I have a house I have two dogs Children (laughs) Etc you got to pay attention
0: to them. That's right. That's Pretty right. important.
2: Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> well, uh, Jeff, I love when when you come on the show, and you reminded me when we talked about Left Hand of Destiny that we need to talk about those on the show and have you back sometime to, to That'd kind of get great. through. That would be great. I love so those would be so much looks. fun. So mm-hmm. um, thank you so much, though. Uh, like you said, uh, we know you guys are busy as authors, and we so appreciate you coming on the show to talk about everything.
1: It's always a pleasure. I have no false modesty saying I love talking with you guys. I love talking about what I'm doing. And I really appreciate your your giving us the forum to do this. So thank you so much.
0: Well, I mean, you know, it's definitely probably the, the best perk of doing what we do is getting the chance to talk to you guys. So <laughs> definitely thanks <is>. so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matthew, you know, I, I say this every time, but it really bears repeating. Talking to the authors is just really the most fun we ever have on this show and uh you know this conversation with jeffrey lang i think you know was another really really great one it's always really good to kind of get into the creative process behind these novels and and where you know these ideas come from and and you know how we get this finished product every month
2: i love getting to get behind the scenes and I love that Jeff just <laughs> lets us mm-hmm. be back there every time that uh, he's on. And, you know, he doesn't hold back. He 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 lets you know uh, what he was thinking first and then where it kind of went and, you know, uh, all the stuff in between. And I just think it's fantastic. So had a blast tonight getting to talk to him uh, about this book. And I'll be really interested to hear what everybody thinks about it as we talk about it on social media and uh, Facebook and all. And so, yeah, definitely uh, join us there and we get to do this every week because we have a great associate producers here through Patreon. We've got uh Will Wynn, Ken Tripp, Brandon Shamitola and Bruce Gibson, uh, who you hear on the show a lot these days. So really appreciate these guys. And, See, they know something about Trek FM that is really important, and we are a listener-supported network, and we really can't do this without the listeners. And so I uh, want to encourage you to go over to patreon.com trek.fm and see how you can support the network. Um, you know, as little as a dollar a day, uh, as little as a dollar a month, you know, just any little bit really helps. You know, we do 20 different shows here on the network and many special feeds going on. We just want to make sure we've got the best Star Trek content and beyond out there. So make sure that you go to patreon.com slash Trek FM and just see how you can be part of the team. Now, Dan, when you're not escaping the clutches of a giant spider that really has a fancy for you these days, where can we find you?
0: <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, it was, it was kind of freaky at first, but you know, she's kind of cute. I I might keep her out. She's pretty awesome. Um, Yeah, you can find me on Facebook. I'm at uh, Always Hanging Around the Babel Conference posting about all things Star Trek. You can find me on Twitter at Twitter, uh, at KurtRatz is my username there. I'm also on Instagram, KurtRatz47. And I'm on YouTube. My channel there is called KurtRatz Productions, doing some interesting things, weekly Star Trek news show and episode reviews. So uh, go ahead and check that out. And uh, Matthew... When you're not escaping a crumbling space station uh, hoping that the Romulan dude out there will be nice enough to pick you up, uh, where can we find you? Who knew
2: I'd be trusting a Romulan, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, you could probably find me tweeting about it, trying to get somebody to come pick me up uh, at Matt Rushing 2 or maybe taking a picture of that Romulan starship out there on Instagram at- and rushing. I'm also doing The Orb here on the network with Chris Jones where we talk all about Deep Space Nine. Um, I'm also doing the 602 club our general geek show where we talk about something fun each week in fact this week i was joined by john champion we were talking about the next in the bond films we're looking at from russia with love so that was a real joy to be able to do and i also do a show called aggressive negotiations about star wars my friend john mills and that's over on the nerdparty.com or you can also find us in itunes under aggressive negotiations Well, thank you so much for joining us every time here on Literary Tracks. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.